I enjoy meeting people, talking to people, learning about their lives, learning about their inspirations and their motivations, and that often uh, motivates and inspires me. And this is what this podcast is all about. It's me talking to real people about their real stories. So I'm an Ekpore. Welcome to Nettie's Conversations and please join me on this journey to feeling motivated and inspired by real people. Hello, uh, welcome back to Conversations with Nettie. Uh, I hope if anyone's managed to listen, you've enjoyed the conversation I've had with uh, my dad. This week's podcast I've been really looking forward to because I'm talking to my <laughs> friend and co-host of another podcast, Claire Aegis, about her experiences with adoption and what the experiences taught her about mental health um, and special behavioural needs. I'm, I'm probably using all the wrong terminology here, mm-hmm. as you can hear, I'm babbling. I am going to introduce Claire... Um, in a minute but it's just to say the reason why I wanted to speak to Claire I've got a great interest in mental health um, and learning all about mental health my own mental health and how to support others but I've just been inspired by the things that Claire has learned and absorbed and she's always my go-to person when I've got any questions she'll be very humble in this podcast and she will probably say she knows nothing <laughs> I feel the pressure <laughs> she's giggling in the background um and actually do you just want to say hello so they know there is someone here hello (laughs) (laughs) and i'm actually i'm in claire's bedroom at the moment we're both sitting on a bed yeah with a cup of well i've got builder's tea builder's tea i've got a little bit more tea yeah yeah, detox so every now and then you might just hear uh, a chaotic clatter of a cup or a slurp or a slurp just a little bit of background i've known claire and i'm going to ask her how long i've known her now uh, I think the oh gosh, I think round about twelve years. Twelve years, and we know each other through a, a crazy friend, friend that yeah. we have, um, who we both love dearly, um, and we both have children of the same age. So yes, I suppose the first thing I'm going to ask is take yourself back to, um, I suppose a good place to talk about the adoption of your son uh, so going back to why we actually initially yeah. adopted why not start uh, with that yeah okay well um i have a birth son um who's now 17 and he was ivf so we we had problems with conceiving anyway but interestingly before we knew we had problems with conceiving we had already looked at adoption so before we had my eldest um i remember it was something like good morning britain or whatever it was called back then they were doing national adoption week oh yeah and i was sitting and watching it and it was actually my husband who phoned in and got the pack sent through the uh, through the post and that was yeah yeah and that was well before we even started to try and conceive um then obviously went down that route um we had ivf that i'm not going to talk about that obviously because that's a completely different subject but eventually that worked and then we did try um, a second time when my son was, I don't know, gosh, two, mm-hmm. maybe, I can't remember. Um, but it just didn't work, didn't work. So we thought, well, why not look at the adoption side of things yeah. again? Um, obviously, going into it, as I imagine the majority of people do, is, oh, 
you know, let's complete our family. Or in that Which kind of is, is, yeah, the yeah. way I would have looked at it, yeah. yeah. Let's complete our family in that kind of altruistic sense of we're doing something good for somebody else mm. and they're also completing our family. Um that's yeah, that that's that's how it well, that's how it came about. Mm. And obviously it was a, a long winded, very protracted process as these things are. And eventually we had um how many years ago now? Ten years ago our son Gosh. was placed with us. Well, uh, it doesn't, doesn't yeah, it doesn't seem feel that long. Well, <laughs> it probably does too, but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't feel that long. I mean I was I was fortunate enough to have known Claire um when, when I was sane. You were <laughs> sane when she was sane and sober and <laughs> not banging my head not, against a padded wall. Not banging her head against a padded wall. Um and I, I remember coming to the house mm-hmm. possibly not straight away because no. sensibly Claire made sure that she wasn't bombarded or her son um this little boy wasn't bombarded with lots of people like being mm. a, an animal in the zoo and everyone kind yeah, of exactly. pointing and saying how cute and it's it's actually you're advised social services do advise you not to do that anyway which is understandable because it's very overwhelming for a child um obviously come into a new family and then be exposed to all these new strangers again yeah um so yeah that was something that was advised and actually probably one of the only decent pieces of advice that we did get yeah so (laughs) yeah tell us a bit um about social services and how they prepared you for this process um gosh um bearing in mind this was obviously 10 years ago although um i know plenty of adopted uh, adoptive families now um, who have much more recently gone through the process and it's sad to say that not much has changed things have certain things have improved but things have not really changed you're not prepared as well as you should be prepared um you do go through a, a, a preparation day i think it was i don't know if it was two or three days um and then you go through the obviously the whole matching process to be honest i'm, I'm really quite kind of um what's the word I'm looking for, vague on, on the whole process and how and what order it all went oh, in. Oh, yeah, but well, I'm not... <clears> yeah, pre- anything you can remember, really. Yeah, the preparation itself was a two- or three-day course. Um, and it was very, looking back on it now, it, because at the time, you're, you're in that place of, you really want this child, it's so exciting, and you think you're getting all the information, but looking back now, very little information is given to you. Mm. Very little preparation. Um... And I don't know if you ever can be prepared fully, to be honest, to, you know, as what to expect, because modern day adoption is very different from the adoption you will see, sort of from your 60s and 70s. Well, yeah, and you see, what's that television programme? Long Lost Family. Long Lost Family. angers me. No, anger's not fair, actually. I I love it, and I do watch it, and it does make me cry, and I think it's great the way they do it, but I I would hate for people to come away and think that that is modern day adoption, Mm, because it really isn't the happy endings that that gives the that that program gives the impression it will be no no it, it may be it may be for some don't get me wrong but it's unlikely because modern modern day adoptions carried out for very very different reasons yes so back then it would often be young unmarried mothers yeah. who weren't allowed to keep their children yeah or or voluntarily gave them up because they you know they given their children a better life that was a choice they were making for the good of the child all those things um these days 
children are removed for much more serious and complex reasons. Yeah. So going back to that child that's been removed from their mum or or they've chosen to, to remove the child, that child still had an element of bonding potentially and nurture and positive influences. But yeah, potentially, yeah. yeah. Potentially very so, much. So um so this might not this might meander in different orders. This is this mm. is just the way that Claire and I normally chat. But there's something that I had never fully appreciated or understood about adoption. So I'm going to come from the perspective of I just assumed that if a child's adopted, I don't know, and they're 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 over five or something like that, Mm -hmm. then whatever influence has happened before the age of five, then there might maybe I don't know something they there may be quite negative. There might be behavioural issues and everything. Mm -hmm. My assumption was if a child was a baby or a toddler when they've been taken away from their families then yeah, everything's okay because they've not had the impact. But Claire is now going to... I know that's not the, not right now, but if anyone thinks that, Claire's now going to explain. Think, yeah, I think most people would think that. It's not necessarily their, their fault in thinking that, but it, it could not be further from the truth. No. Um, I wish I'd kind of gone over some of my own information because I can't remember all the details now. Um, but you're basically your central nervous system comes online when you are something like and I know if someone's listening to this who knows best than me it's something like eight weeks gestation so right. at that point that is the point in which your mother is downloading everything into your system Gosh. so any stress so high levels of cortisol any drugs any drink um any even extrinsic stress so domestic violence anything like that that's happening to the mother is happening to the child and that at that point, the neural pathways are all developing, the central nervous system is all developing, and that is all making up what that child is going to become. So it starts in utero. Mm. It all starts in utero. And it's just, it's, it's quite mind-blowing because, like you say, the neural pathways have formed then. Mm-hmm. So that are forming. I mean, obviously, forming. they're forming at a rate of knots right up until we're in our 20s. So, you know. Yeah. So but are... that's then, I'm not going to say a set personality for the child, but that's quite difficult to unpick. It, yes, yeah. exactly. It, the, and, and the first three years of a child's life are considered the formative years of their life. So that's when everything's going at breakneck speed in the brain. Yeah. Uh, things slow down a little bit more after that. Um, and things can, the neural pathways can be reformed. Mm. They can be, you know, a child can learn new ways of thinking. Mm. Obviously, right, I mean, we can all learn new ways of thinking right up into our, well, we, we can continue doing it day by day. Mm. Um, but it's what's happening in those early years because everything's developing so quickly. Mm. That's when it's all really, really important. Mm. So um, are you okay to say how old <clears throat> your son was? Yes, he okay. he was... Uh, he was three and a half when he came to live with us and he'd been in just in one foster placement and it was a good foster placement for a year. Um, and when I mean it was a good foster placement, it was a good foster place, placement in terms of it was good parenting in a very busy, chaotic household, but in a, in a, in a normal family environment. Um, however, he was two and a half years in um, the, his, his, the environment in which he was born into which wasn't a healthy environment. Yeah. Um, and he should have been removed even earlier than he was removed, mm-hmm. um, but sadly slipped through the net due to um, 
uh, absences at social services. So, okay. which you know, I know I'm, and I'm not going to badmouth social services at all because uh, you know I have had some good social workers, and there are an awful lot of good social workers out there. But and it's a very stressful job, and I do know the social workers that we did have. They take time off work due to illness, due to the pressures, and I get all that. But unfortunately, that that causes a break in continuity mm. for the children and for the parents as well. So, and that's what happened in in our case. And our son was left in an environment that he shouldn't have been in for two and a half years longer than he should mm, yeah. which, which was more damaging yes so let's look then at the should we say I don't know a time period <laughs> first six months of your son not bad actually bizarrely not well I'm saying not bad it's hard to remember to well, I, I mean I, I remember coming in the house so um, my daughter I don't know would have been I'm trying to think what the age difference is I think the age difference is five years so she would probably have been about seven then so I remember coming in and yeah I would say the I don't know whether to call them tantrums but the the need for attention was a lot more extreme. The seeking for attention. Seeking, seeking for attention. No, no, absolutely, do correct yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. The se- seeking for attention was a lot more extreme. The. Um, no, I've got that the wrong way around. You had it the right way around. Did I need? No, for... sorry, I've corrected you, and actually, that's the wrong way around. You were right. Okay. It was it was attention needing behaviour, not attention seeking. That's my fault. Okay. Sorry, I stand that's totally right. correct. Well, it's because you've. It's <laughs> because I wasn't thinking. No, it's because you've taught me well over all these years. <laughs> I'm, I'm confusing myself. I've no, you were totally right. Yes, it was attention needing behaviour, not attention seeking behavior yeah. that's right so he would he would be he would be screaming and I think the difference was that I noticed so um, my daughter would have um, attention needing behavior mm-hmm. but would come out of that you know quite quickly hmm. um, I think the thing I noticed was it would go on for a long time would yeah it? I think a longer the time. longest we're talking three four hours yes so of, of, of quite intense yeah screaming yeah. and meltdowns yeah. and uh, verbal physical abuse yeah um but yeah. but then much but then this sounds like i'm painting um a really negative picture of claire's son and i'm absolutely not because the the, the striking thing about him when you first met him was what an affectionate mm. little boy and you know still is that, that he was and if I ever wanted a hug Auntie Nettie yeah. would get a hug but that in itself was odd yes because yeah, the, yeah. the average child would not go up to a stranger oh, no, and no. hug them there was no shyness um, I mean there. he would walk down the street and he would be chatting away to the local builder you know building the wall next door he would have a chat with them and hug them and kiss them and then he would come home and tell me that he missed that person I really missed the building and would get very very upset because he missed the person yeah um it was all very uh, very unusual it's not unusual now from what I know yeah but at the time it was very unusual and he had kind of quite a grown-up sense of charm because I think yes. I remember that's I don't know he'd it. probably have been about maybe six I don't know how old how old he was when um I don't actually know I think it was at your old house probably about six and I just remember going around and I probably had a particularly bad day and he without realizing lifted my spirits because he said oh Auntie Nettie aren't you looking gorgeous today (laughs) I mean this is coming from a six-year-old but still I just thought again yeah again and and this is why adults did until until they kind of got to know him at that point did get on with him very well he always got on very well with adults more than he did children because he was very different from every other child in that sense but he had a desperate need to be loved Mm. and to 
uh, feel approval and to feel needed and wanted and what he desperately wanted there was for you not to reject him yeah. and not to send him away again no no so he's just constantly wanting to please yeah all the time yeah all the time okay but then that the, the problem with that was that he couldn't keep that level of behavior up because actually it's a forced behavior no. it's a it's, it's a way of it was a, a, a way of being that wasn't natural yes so fair to say if we sort of go away from the six months and if we just kind of start to go through the, through the, through the span of time that there's been yeah th- many... can I just go back though to the yes. six months because obviously I, I likened it to um, <clears throat> a feral animal <laughs> um, you imagine now if you find a, a cat in the wild mm-hmm. and you went towards it and it would arch its back its fur would go on the back of its neck it would spit at you and hiss at you and stick its claws in you that's exactly what he would do mm-hmm. so uh, I remember my son's my eldest son's seventh birthday he bit his arm and drew blood on him uh, he would scratch at my face he, uh, if I was putting him into his uh, car seat I would get spat at in my face and at the time again because I wasn't educated about it and I didn't know and I didn't have the support and social services definitely weren't educated about um, attachment issues and uh, developmental trauma um, he, you imagine that you've just been taken away from everything you know and this strange person is forcing you into a seat and this doesn't feel comfortable, you don't feel safe. That's exactly what a yeah. feral animal would do. Yeah. Yeah, and I can see that now. And at the time I remember thinking, stop doing that, it's so rude, that's so badly behaved. And, and that's how it looked as well to the outside. Well, this is what I was going to say at this point was another um, thing that I've learnt from Claire. Now... Hopefully, I, I had empathy before this, but it's but it knowing Claire, knowing Claire's son has just brought so much more understanding to me. Mm. So much so that I, when I, I notice the looks more, not just for Claire's son, but if any, if I'm out, say, I don't know, shopping, Trafford Centre, um, and I see a child, um, getting very upset and distressed. Um, and I see people kind of tutting, pen- tutting or, yeah. or anyone mentioning under the breath, oh, well, <clears throat> I wouldn't let my child do that. Mm-hmm. I want to go over and speak to them. Yeah. And actually, I was at my gym, and this was, I think, I think this was as a result of what I'd learned through you. So I was at my gym, and um, it, it was um, a Sunday. I was there without my daughter, and there was a lady, I would say she was probably in her mid-50s, and there was a child who was very distressed. I think she, I'm guessing she was in the shower, didn't like the shower. She was getting, um, crying quite a lot. And this lady just kept trying to catch my eye, thinking that, you know, I suppose assuming that I was Being getting annoyed and judgmental yeah. about it. And so <laughs> said something like, oh gosh, it's, just, you know, can't she control her own child? Mm-hmm. So I kind of calmed myself down because I thought, there's no way I want to have a go at this woman and then not have a learn. So I just smiled at her and I said, oh gosh, my daughter's been like that before. You mm-hmm. know, it's quite challenging and I, I think that parent's probably quite embarrassed. And mm-hmm. then I smiled and I said, and uh, I said, it's a family gym. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, people do bring children. And she did look quite surprised, this one, but then she said, oh yeah, yeah, no, I understand. It is... And then sort of turn it around, she said, oh gosh, yeah, it must be quite hard, you know, with children. And and, and, and I had quite a good response from her. Mm. So rather than me having an angry response, which is what, what my first reaction was, 
I did try and respond to her in a way to almost educate her. Yeah. But I still do get frustrated now when I hear the old-fashioned, oh, I wouldn't let my child behave yeah. like that. Yeah. And, and you know, pre-pickle, um, as we refer to him, um, I would have been the same as well because my, mm. my eldest son, you know, I did make him sit still and eat with his knife and fork and... Um, you know, not talk when other people were speaking and not go under the tables and not run around in restaurants. I did all that. Um, and maybe I would have been that person as well who, who would have done exactly the same thing. Mm. But one thing that Pickle has done is made me a better parent, without a doubt. Yeah. And, yeah, we mm. should refer to him as Pickle because that's yes. your... Yeah, well, yeah. Just to explain, yeah. Um, so we could either use son or Pickle just so that yeah. people understand. Um, so the other... I might be jumping here, but the other mm-hmm. thing, and I will say, if do you mind talking about it, is education and school. Hmm. Yeah, Are that's, you okay been, that's talking about. Yeah, that? absolutely. Okay. That's probably the biggest been the biggest thing really. Um, obviously, with with everything, I mean, we're jumping on considerably here yes. because uh, behavioural issues were obviously mounting, and I was trying to understand why these things were happening. Um, but it's only when, and now I can say that it's it's pretty much across the board of, of the adoptive parents that I know, that when our children hit year two and three, basically when you're six, seven and eight, is it that? I think six, seven, eight. so, yeah, yeah. Basically when you go into the ju- juniors, juniors, I think that that's is, it. year three is and the, the work pressures, and it starts to become a little bit more serious at school, less about learning through play and more about, you know, sitting down and learning and being quiet and stopping fidgeting and all those things. That's when I, that's when the trouble starts for most adoptive parents mm-hmm. because um, I'm going to be as blunt to say most schools, I'm going to say that very glibly and very generalising, most schools don't get it and most schools mm-hmm. are not equipped to deal with it. Yep. And I may make people angry saying that but and I'm really, really open to people coming and saying, actually, we do this at our school and we do that at our school and that would be brilliant. But and I think in you making that statement, you're not saying that an individual teacher doesn't get it. You're saying that the establishment... The estab- I'm saying the establishment doesn't get it. Because yeah, yeah. no, we have comment. had some good teachers yeah. and teachers who have tried. We have yeah. definitely had teachers who have been willing to try and that's all I ever asked for, really, because uh, it's hard. It's hard to understand. And actually, the teachers spend a lot more time with your children than mm. you do. Yeah. Um, and it's difficult, particularly when you've got a class of other children that you're trying to teach, mm. and then you've got one child who's who's needing a lot more from you. Mm. That's really difficult, and I don't envy that task. But I think generally the establishment does not no. provide for children with mental health difficulties, and particularly for children with developmental trauma, because developmental trauma is not a recognised disorder in terms of it's you cannot get a di- diagnosis of di- developmental trauma. And are you happy to give some examples of what was happening when Pickle was getting distressed and what might have yeah, caused that distress? Yeah, he would... Oh, um, at the beginning, we obviously we didn't understand, we didn't know what was going on. He would um, be under the table. He would be lying on the floor. They were talking in the classroom of 30 children. He'd be under the table, lying on the floor, hitting other children, um, leaving the classroom... Uh, leaving the classroom during lessons to run around the grounds, um, which obviously have health and safety issues for, for the majority of schools, that's that's a problem. Locking himself in the toilets for hours, but always remembering to come out for his lunch, which used to make me giggle. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Lock himself back. Come out for lunch and lock himself back in again. Quite funny, really. Didn't he try to climb, <laughs> climb out of the climbing, school? Climbing over the, the railings at school, upturning the furniture, um, throwing things, becoming dangerous towards the other children, becoming dangerous towards the adults. Okay. So, and... That's... Okay, let's go, go for it. There were some techniques... Um, well, probably a lot of techniques, but give me examples of techniques that had been used. Rewards and punishments which are used with every child should be banned in schools. Yes. The sad side. Yeah. The happy side. The, these, the cl- if you're putting someone on a cloud or is it on a grey cloud, yeah. and I, I know they have different things in different schools. Um, giving certain children rewards and other children not rewards. We are not all born on a level playing field. We are not all born equal in that sense no. at all it depends on what's been going on for that child there are some children who cannot sit still and in fact some children learn better not sitting still mm, yeah. some children getting up and moving around is how they concentrate because it stops them focusing on other parts of their behavior or other aspects of their um, mind that they're unable to control and at the end of the day what you're saying here is i mean not i'm oversimplifying now is that funnily enough we are all individual Absolutely. human beings and yes. we're not artificial intelligence. Exactly. And, and, I, and I get that schools have got 30 children and they have to deliver a curriculum to these 30 children and they have to meet targets <laughs> and standards and that's where it fails. That's where it fails for me. But yeah. I understand and I'm, and I'm not an educator so I don't know what the answer to that is. But I do know that all children are individuals we do not all learn in the same way we are not all able to do the same things and we certainly don't deserve to be on the sad side because we're fidgeting and have you seen shame used? shame oh god shame is um as you know very different from guilt shame Mm. and guilt are tied but very different Shame is something that our schools use a lot, that we as parents use as well, and and I've done it, we've all done it, Um, to make someone, or so we feel that it will make someone behave to our standards, Mm. and it doesn't work. No. You cannot shame somebody into doing what you want them to do. No. Particularly somebody who is riddled with shame. Yeah, Because they have been brought into uh, a world where they believe they are not good enough they believe they um don't belong Mm -hmm. they have no self-worth and how shaming that person is going to make them feel good about themselves i don't know or do better well all it's going to do is compound those feelings absolutely to spiral them deeper into those feelings and and make it a lengthier process so what happened uh, if i can just give a little example as well what happened my son was repeatedly being kept in at playtimes because he hadn't finished his work. Um, this is a child who has developmental trauma, which, which has uh, traits of autism, plays out, presents itself like autistic traits, ADHD traits. So you are now confining a child who can't sit still for very long periods and you're making them stay in. So they're not getting that outside space that they need mm-hmm. to be able to actually continue through the rest of yeah. the day. He was being told to stay because he wasn't finishing his work. He wasn't finishing his work because he was never feeling safe in the classroom. He was unable to finish his work because his mind was never able to get to that part of his brain where he could learn because it was always in a state of hypervigilance. He was always thinking, you know now, we're sitting here on the bed now. 
And if you turn away, I mean, we we're actually pointing towards the door. If we weren't pointing towards the door and somebody walked in through the door, what would you do? Oh, somebody like a stranger walks well, through the door. Just somebody. Well, I would jump, probably. Yeah, but you would turn and look. Turn and look, Turn yeah. and look. So a child will, oh, certainly a child who's hypervigilant, is in a constant state of fight, flight and breathe. I was going to say, so constant is it like state. the analogy of the tiger? So all the dinosaurs. So yeah. as human beings... We were kind of, we evolved to be able to survive, exactly. but not in the situations in the, the situations we have today. It was it's survival for you go straight a dinosaur. Back yeah, to that part of your brain, that is the unconscious part of the brain. It's not the thinking part of the brain. It is the fight, flight, freeze, survival part of the brain, yeah. which goes, who is this? What do they want? Are they going to take me away? What are they going to do with me? I'm scared. Yeah, I, I'm not going to tell you what four ad four is. At that point in time, no. I can't do that. I'm not able to do that. No. So he wasn't able to ever get... And then he was being punished for it. Yeah. So then inevitably, as I've said to you many times, behaviour is a communication. Yes, the behavior I, then, I love that quote. Behave, yeah, the behaviour then would be to, this isn't fair, I will upturn the chair or upturn the table, I will throw something at the teacher, I will push the teacher, I will try to escape. Mm. Because this is not a fair situation and I now need to run from it because yeah. I no longer feel safe. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how it was. And that was the perpetual... And of course, the teachers were constantly then putting, well, if you do this again, this will happen. Mm. A cause and effect. Cause and effect part of the brain hasn't also hasn't formed at that point. And just to give you a view of this, and, and, and Claire can kind of go into this as well. I feel like I'm getting all passionate and <laughs> Well, no, but this is... I get really shouty when I get... No, but, it, but it, I feel passionate about it, <coughs> and he's not my son. You know, obviously they feel very connected to Pickle, but he's not my son, and I... And, and we'll go into the thing I felt most passionate about that I got involved with you in <laughs> um, and became your personal secretary Indeed, for a while. Yes. Um, but we'll go into that. But, um, yeah, just to, to, to give a view of how, <coughs> I guess, Sorry. how on edge you were. Hmm. So, I'm not saying we would... Claire and I might say at birthdays or other times plan lunch, I might be working mm-hmm. from home, but it wouldn't be a regular thing. But I so it would it was very ad hoc and it might be once every couple of months say yeah. But I think there was one year where on every occasion that we met, yeah. school phoned. Yeah, it got and, to and the point you where you had it several times a week, didn't you? Yeah, and and on a few occasions, several times a day. Mm. Um, and again, it the thing that annoyed me most about all of this by this point, I was learning. I had learnt a lot, and I had gone from that meek parent of oh my god I'm really sorry that my child has hurt that other child and oh I hope that child's okay and I don't to actually what happened what was the trigger what happened in your classroom to cause that behavior to cause him to reach out in that way and what are you doing about mm, it exactly and then I got to that place where I could be strong in that way and I've forgotten what you've just said there because I was going somewhere else with that question it, it, it was just I was just trying to show how language. often sorry I know what it was sorry I talked over you um that it was the language that was used right okay. so then I would get a phone call sometimes from the teacher more often than not from the school secretary um and the language that was used was language like could you please come and get him? He's terrorising the school again. Mm. That was one. Another one was, he's being a bully. Um, what was it? In fact, I think it was even, and I'm going to say, if I can say this publicly, because I'm not mentioning names, it was even the Senko who had told him 
that he was become, turning into a bully. Can you just say what a SENCO is? For a SENCO is a, a special, the Special Educational Needs Coordinator, and I think they may have changed the name now, I'm not sure. But basically, the person within your school, the teacher within your school who's dedicated to those children with special needs. And she used that language with my son. Now, my son is a lot of things. One thing he, he isn't is to make up stories as wide as that. Mm. to come home and tell me that I was livid. Mm. I can't tell you to say that to a child who is going through and has been through what he's been through. I was so angry. Yeah, no, I remember. And the thing is, it, and and understandably, the, the emotion builds and it's really hard. Um, it was Well, it was hard to see my friend, my close friend going through this, but also, again, I can... Um, only imagine what Claire was going through because I felt angry. So can I now take you up to the point <clears> where, well, you would you would have several meetings with school, wouldn't you? Yeah, meetings were, were regular. We, we had um, TAC meetings, which are team around the child meeting, which are basically everybody who comes, comes into contact with the child is supposed to be involved in that meeting. Inevitably, it never works out that way. But um, yeah, so we would have team around the child meetings. I can't, again, remember the process because it's such a long time ago and I was in a complete fuddle the whole time. Um, we, we knew at this point that we needed to get him an EHCP. Which That's is, another thing as well, that? which is the education healthcare plan. And what does that do? What does that, that, do? that basically states what your child's needs are um, and it gives benchmarks of what, what, is, what the school are going to do to meet them, by when, and everything's written down. And doesn't it give funding as well? And it also gives funding, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, yes, it does. But again, the problem was he was showing um, behavioural, dis- obviously emotional distress and behavioural needs. And at first, again, the, S- the Senko said that he wouldn't be eligible for one because he wasn't... He didn't have special needs in inverted commas in the usual sense of maybe a learning difficulty or um, I'm trying to think of another special need that might come up. But, you know, he didn't have anything you know, or even a physical disability. Yeah, they, so they didn't, they didn't have a say, a classification of something like autism. He wasn't classified. No, I mean, autistic. we did go down that route. And actually, again, autism is an opinion-based diagnosis and it's a multidisciplinary diagnosis. Um, we actually paid for independent assessments to be done in the end in the process of something else which we may talk about I don't know if we'll have enough time um but we actually paid for one of the best consultant speech and language therapists in the country um to come up from Birmingham to do an assessment um she did that and she absolutely said he was classic Asperger's uh which I agreed with at the time and actually I was sounds awful to say but I was thrilled that Mm. we had got a label and I know a lot of people may gasp at that because a lot of people say I don't want my child labelling but we needed it because nobody was getting it nobody it was system, understanding we you? needed it for the system yeah. we needed to say he is this so that we could open doors to funding to understanding and to empathy yeah so if I can because it, I mean I, when you were saying there's not enough time I'm hoping the listeners will understand this is a bit of a, a longer podcast <laughs> because it, it's it's not it's just quite, an emotive subject. I think it's a very, very important subject to make sure we don't cut it short. So I know what these meetings were like because a couple of times I went to these meetings mm-hmm. because Claire was finding yeah. it difficult to... Well, she would come out of the meetings and the school would minute them and you weren't necessarily happy with the minutes. The minutes were, were often inaccurate. Yeah, and mm-hmm. because you... Mm-hmm. It was very difficult for you to get involved in the um, conversation and also take minutes... 
I went in as um, a, a minute taker. So I typed whilst they talked and yeah. then they had probably the best written minutes i'm not singing my praises here but i can type um and it was it was the difficult situation for me was i had to keep saying to myself you are here to type you are here not here to get involved but there was one point when i did speak when am i allowed to say about the lady from Oh, from the lady from Cam's, yes, of course. So Cam's is basically. child uh, mental yes. health. Sort Children, of last, adolescents, mental, mental health. Mental health, health services, so yeah. service who came along. <clears throat> and there, it was, you know, don't need to go into detail about what was going on, but there was there were lots of things that were showing how distressed Pickle was at the school and we were having a long meeting. And I had heard about this woman that she didn't sometimes turn up and she was sitting there and she wasn't saying anything. And then all of a sudden said... Right, this has been a great meeting. Um, I've got to go now, so keep keep up the good work. And then just left. And, left. and do you know, I think that was the last time I ever saw her. I oh. never had a letter from her to say she was off the case. I, I nothing. And nothing. Then, I, I never know. saw her again. And I was so gobsmacked, <coughs> to, to coin a northern phrase, I was so gobsmacked <laughs> that I had to stop typing and just turn around and look at the room and say... Is that normal? Does that just Did happen? That just happen. <laughs> and I think I think even the te- on that side, I think even the teachers were like, "What, what, what was happened? all that about?" Yeah, yeah. But so what I want to take it to is the, <clears throat> there's lots of important points in a child's <laughs> school career, but one of the, one of the huge points is that transition mm. of going from a primary school to a secondary school and this was a key part of Pickle's life yeah I mean every child with needs or otherwise you know what it's like if your child if you've got a child who's gone from primary to secondary you know how distressing it is it's awful you know all the rumours that go around and how distressing it is to go through that when you've got a child with um, developmental trauma or uh, ASD or ADHD or any other neurological challenge they generally struggle with change and we're not talking about changing schools per se. We're talking about changing the colour of your socks. We're talking about changing your toothbrush. We're talking about changing from one lesson to the next. Mm. We're talking about changing your reading book. We're talking very, very, what to you and I might be quite small changes. Mm. To them are massive. So obviously this was something we were worried about. But we weren't too worried because now at this point we are in year five, towards the end of year five, and we're going through the EHCP process. Uh, we're waiting to get that. We then get um, the EHCP, I think, I can't remember the dates exactly, but I think it was literally like this time, July time, right before mm. the end of ter- the term of year five. So he's going into his final year at primary school. At this point also as well, he's out of the mainstream environment. The school that he was at did have a nurture provision for moderate learning difficulties for 10 children. And although he didn't have or doesn't have moderate learning difficulties, uh, the teachers in there were, were better equipped to deal with um, some of his issues. So it wasn't perfect. It was far from perfect, but it was better than being in the mainstream. Um, so where was I? So he so that this was the end of year five. The EHCP then comes through and we get awarded it. And... The letter on the front, it usually states the school, the nominated school, states a completely different school for year six. Mm. It stated a totally different primary school for one final year. So what the authority had decided was, 
and it had to have been it had to have been on the recommendation of, of his staff, current primary school um that they couldn't meet his needs anymore which mm. was which was fine we, we knew they were struggling but it wasn't discussed with me mm. it was obviously discussed with the authority and it came through to say that this other school was the school for him mm-hmm. um now it wasn't too far away not too far, nothing to do with that but my big problem was that they were wanting a child who cannot cope with change to change to a new school for one year yeah and then into a secondary school for another year yeah. and it would have been an, a mainstream secondary so and school. the mainstream secondary school from what i remember they weren't actually going to a firm recommendation but it was intimated mm-hmm. that it was going to be the same mainstream school that my daughter yes. was at with over a thousand with pupils. over a thousand pupils and i asked my daughter who knew pickle do you think can and had seen some mm, of the oh yes, some of yeah. the mild challenging behaviors of pickle mm-hmm. i said from what you know of your school, do you think Pickle will cope there? And these are the things that he finds challenging, you know, busy corridors, this, mm-hmm. that and the other. And she said, absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not. Now, obviously, you know, we're not going to um, take that as the, or you're not going to take that as the total say-so, but that was someone who knew... You knew both the situation yeah, and the uh, The child. experience of, of, yeah. of, a, of a, a pupil, of yeah. a child there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was just, it was unbelievable. It was absolutely unbelievable. And I actually got on the phone and I cried on the phone mm-hmm. uh, to the teacher. And I said, please, can please can he stay there? Because even though, mm-hmm. you know, we're all struggling, if he goes somewhere else to another building that he doesn't know, with teachers that he doesn't know, with friends or new pupils that he doesn't know, this is going to literally take us back two or three years. Oh, yeah. It would have taken us into a state of absolute hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, the teacher was, yeah, yeah, I'll do, of course, we'll, we'll be, I'll do everything we can. Um, I don't know at that point, obviously, because I wasn't privy to it, whether she did do everything she could and it was rebuffed by people above her or whether she didn't. I don't know. But no. basically, it was decided that no, he, mm-hmm. wouldn't, he wouldn't go back there. So what did you um, then do? So then I, uh, I think, I can't remember where we went from there. Did we get in touch with the authority? Um, can you remember what we did from well, there? Well, so, it, and again, I'm not going to probably get the chronology of it right, but I remember that you, I think, then started to do your own research right. to look at on what would be um, suitable schools. And yes. ideally, your own research on a school that would take him from year six right, right through his whole education. And there are right. schools there are like pl- that. And there are plenty of schools, and there are plenty of really, really good schools in um, in our area, but not within our authority. Yeah. So there is not one single school in our authority that caters for children like Pickle. We have two or three very good schools for children with learning difficulties. In fact, there's one that is literally a five-minute walk from my house. Mm. And I believe, I know children that go there, I believe it's a lovely school. But unfortunately, they wouldn't carry... No, because because it, 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 his learning um, was... Um, his learning was absolutely fine and... It's it there was, so there was well when I say absolutely fine there may be some delays, yeah, some delays. Due, due due to but he was able the behavior. the ability was there he was yeah. able he just wasn't accessing that learning part of his brain so um I yes I did my own research I found several well I found one school actually one school out of area um about forty minutes away and I went to look at it and loved it 
absolutely loved it. So we put that down as our nominated school. When, um, at this time, I was also seeing um, a child psychologist, sorry, a child a psychotherapist uh, with my husband without Pickle. Um, and we got chatting to him about it. And he um, also mentioned a couple of other schools. And we went to see those as well. Um, by this time, there was one standout school for me. And it took children from age 7 right through to 18. It had outstanding Ofsted reports. It had an amazing head teacher. Everything was just absolutely perfect. Um, and I went down to see it and you came with me, didn't you? Yeah, so I'd been to one of the other schools with you on the visit when your husband couldn't make it, um, which was the the one in the Salford area that they'd recommended. Yes, that's was, right. Yeah. That, oh, that was the actual mainstream that's school, the wasn't actual, it? That was yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Um, but the, so we went to this school and I remember mm -hmm. we were sitting in the reception and I think they must have had a busy day and it was quite clinical. Um, there was nothing on the walls. I remember going and thinking this doesn't... Every other school reception I'd been in, it's got colourful pictures and all, all these things going on on the walls and like stories from the teachers of course we went into this one it was like sitting in a dentist it, it was room, like sitting it? in a dentist and we were both sort of looking we're at each other thinking, what is this? and I, and I mm. was thinking well I don't know what to do I'm gonna to have to say to Claire you know I don't like this and obviously it's nothing <laughs> I think it was to obvious but the way me. we were looking at each other we were like oh what is this this feels really uncomfortable and so we got taken into the head teacher's office he started talking and I've never seen body... We, we were mirroring each other's body language mm. because we both instantly re relaxed yeah. and then leant forward, exactly. and now, now we know, that obviously, yeah. this school is predominantly for autistic children. Of course, the walls are not going to be plastered with bright, colourful, no. stimulating things. But at the time, I didn't realise all that. I mean, and plus being in this heightened sense of anxiety that I was in at the time as well. Um, yeah, it all, it all makes sense now. But yes, so then, and then we decided that was a school. And then I remember we drove away from that and I was nearly in tears saying I was so, I wanted it so badly that I was frightened that we weren't going to get it. Yeah. I wanted it so bad. Bear in mind now, this is out of area. As far as the authority were concerned, they had a perfectly good school for him. Yeah. Um, and because they only needed to name a primary provision, it didn't matter to them what was going to happen in year seven. No. So, um, but that wasn't good enough for me. I needed to know. What we, yeah. need, we needed it all down. Um, thankfully, the head teacher as well was just brilliant, wasn't he? He was it's brilliant. Kind of giving us some, you know, tips on how to handle things, and he was just fantastic. He's been through it. He's he's been through the fight with many many parents before. Um, so yeah, so that was that. Um, the the authority said no. Um, I said yes. They said no. I kept going backwards and forwards until the point where I instructed a solicitor and took them to tribunal. And you had a legal battle and yeah. a lot of money. An awful later. lot of money. An awful lot of money, and it should not happen because we were lucky. I'm saying lucky. This is an awful thing, and God rest her soul. My late mother-in-law passed away and left a little bit of money. If she hadn't have left that money, God knows where he'd be now. Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, so I, I witnessed all this and I saw everything they were going through. And again, um, I'm, I don't think Claire will mind to say that, that me saying that she's getting quite emotional now. Um, and I'm just moving my hand over <laughs> and holding my friend's hand here. Um, but I just wanted to share with you how emotional she was getting because at the time this was an incredibly tough time for her. So I'm just going to talk for a little bit now. So they, they won their case, but the worst thing was is the authority knew that they were going to win the case. Mm -hmm. 
they'd kind of given up they anyway. Hi, we just broke off the recording there slightly, um, just just to allow Claire to compose herself a little, because um, that's the beauty of um, this podcast recording. So we got to the point where um, they won the case. Yeah, and they and they knew that we were... They basically, they turned up to the tri- tribunal, and I remember the judge questioning the um, principal officer from the authority um, on the school that... Well, on the, on the secondary school, actually... Um, even though they didn't have to mention the secondary school, that the judge had seen that actually this was a problem for a child like like my son. Um, and they questioned her, and she didn't know anything about the school that she was recommending for my no. son. She never she didn't know. She never. Well, I don't know if she visited. She certainly didn't know about the nurture provision that was in there. They did have a nurture provision. I had visited it. Mm. I'd spoken to the senko there, the deputy head teacher, who was actually lovely and had had actually told me to my face that she could not meet his needs but that she would be obliged to say to the authority that she could Mm. which is outrageous outrageous Mm. really and what really incenses me is that how many children is this happening to yeah well how many children it's either if the parents can't advocate for their children for whatever reason maybe you know that they're not strong enough maybe they're not and i don't mean this in a bad way but articulate enough or maybe don't you know, feel like the, the educators and the professionals are, are some kind of gods that are telling you everything and, and you've got oh, to do what the they say. Don't have the time for work. Well, I had to give up my job, as have a lot, of, yeah. a lot of people uh, that I know that have been through this, and then don't have the money to go through no. it. Um, and it, it really incenses me because yeah. they just, it shouldn't be happening because every single child deserves the right education. And, and the way I look at it is that there's, a lot of lost children out there as a result. Yes. Yeah, so all those children that... And I've heard it myself. I've actually heard friends and say this. I've heard them say in the playground, and that kid has hit my kid, and I'll go in and I'll do this and I'll do that. And I sometimes... And don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about... But bullying isn't... It shouldn't be... Obviously, it's a massive thing and it shouldn't be allowed. And all this kind of thing needs stamping out. But it also needs empathy and understanding. Mm-hmm. Why? A, a children is not born a bully. There's a reason for what's going on. It's like you going back to you <laughs> that phrase. Behaviour is communication. And I'm not saying you want to go and hug that child that's just hit your child. I'm not saying that. But tr- don't go in all guns blazing. Try to understand what's going on. Or, or go to the school and say... Um, can you try and understand what's going on with that child? Obviously, my child's child. being hurt, but I, but um, you know, c- can you also yeah. look at what's happening as opposed to just punishing? Often, the child? often the child that is doing the bullying is the child that needs the most support. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, this this probably could have done with two two podcasts or even more because obviously it's a massive topic, but. Safe to say, Pickle ended up going to the amazing the school. school. We yes, we and got it the school. an amazing school, isn't it? It was, it was, it was an absolutely. I couldn't, I couldn't believe. It. I mean, we won the tribe. It was right before Christmas when we when we won the tribunal. It was just like the best Christmas present ever. Um, going back slightly to what you said, though, it was infuriating. It was a hollow victory, wasn't it? It was a hollow victory, and we actually tried to recuperate some of the costs as well, and we couldn't. And and what was really annoying about that is that if the appeal for costs had gone back to the original judge because there's different judges on each case we probably would have gotten them back yeah. or certainly got some of them because they did the authority did not need to push us to spending that amount of money because there were different stages and we could have spent about a third of what we did spend mm. 
Um, but obviously now the money just doesn't it doesn't matter it really mm. doesn't matter it's it's irrelevant what because to me it was the best money we ever spent oh because you know now he's at this absolutely amazing school and it, it doesn't mean to say that there aren't you know looking at pickle today how many years on yeah. it's safe to say there's challenges oh gosh yeah. yeah there always will be i mean there will all and then that's a whole different podcast on the whole developmental trauma and neurological disorders yes, and things. that's a whole different thing again but um he will always in heightened time in heightened moments of anxiety and stress he will always go into that place of default yeah. his default switch will always go and that behavior will always come out and i often either don't get a response to my messages in the morning knowing what it is or i'll get a, a ranty message <laughs> in the morning i'm trying to, to keep my fingers busy <laughs> so i'm trying to keep yeah keep your fingers, fingers busy. excuse me busy but the school um is amazing mm-hmm. um he... this school if, I, if you don't mind me saying because i really i'm not going to mention the name but i really want to big up the because the, there are teachers and professionals that get it and when they get it by god they get it and they're absolutely brilliant this school has got a ratio of something like it's not quite one to one um on on teachers it's it's got something like 80 pupils and 80 staff and when i say 80 staff i don't mean 80 teaching staff but it has a a care team it has a, a therapy team they have obviously the cable the catering staff and the cleaners they are all well versed in the difficulties that these children yeah. the taxi people yeah every it's amazing it's absolutely yeah. amazing so this is it's a pri- really really prime example of people working together and it's fantastic and just to to go back to that day that we spent with the or the the hour or so we spent with the head teacher mm-hmm. which was uh, he came to the tribunal as well as a witness for yeah. us i just have to say that he was absolutely amazing i mean it just he he was he should be if you're giving out i don't know cbs obs or whatever he should get one yeah and his and wife as well she's also she's so, a deputy head there and she's amazing as well so there are children that have left that school <clears throat> that would never have had a chance no. or a career and would have been let down by society but they've got i'm just going to give some examples i'm not saying just because you're a you're a doctor you're successful but they've got Someone who's, who's a doctor. People have gone on to do medical med- medicine and all kinds of, yeah. Yeah, who would have all been expelled from their schools. And, yes. and, and, and again, there are people that have come and out and, and, and haven't got education and have got, um, you know, great yeah. jobs and great futures. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that these children had that these would have been the lost. These would have been the lost, lost children. children. These would have been the children that fell by the wayside. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's just amazing that, that what they're churning out of there is incredible yeah. i mean we've got the presentation next week actually the end of term but you know the end of year presentation and i just can't wait it's the most uplifting couple of hours of my life yeah. last year when i went it was amazing they all the kids get involved in the videos and you hear what the achievements are and what the children have gone on to do and you know these children who can't do maths and english but have been fantastic drummers and or fantastic um i don't know artists and they've just got other talents that this mm. that they've been tapped into that they're not made to feel stupid because they can't meet a standard that somebody in parliament has said they have to meet yeah and i actually would if you want to put a good word in i would love to interview that head teacher for my podcast oh okay so, yes. yeah, just, a, just a point to note there um my takeaway from it is that i yeah i have a very um a, a place in my heart for pickle um he's he's well loved by auntie Nettie, and i think what i do love is that he has embraced absolutely embraced 
the sport of rugby and you people listening might say oh what rugby league or rugby union both. no both <laughs> because he's decided to play both and yes he's a coming up for us is he a teenager yet teenager this year teenager this, teenager year. this year so yeah it's probably not as communicative communicative as he used to be because he wants to play his games but i tell you when he is is when i'm here and he comes home and he's won something or his team have won something in rugby he comes straight up and the pride in his face that's an, and that means so much again to me. i have to big up the whole rugby team as well because the coaches that he has had on there, they're another prime example of, of people who get it. These two blokes, there's only one there now, but these two blokes, and we took him there. God, how long has he been playing rugby? Seven years? Six, mm. seven years? We took him there and he couldn't focus. He was up on some hillside with a stick, hitting flowers, couldn't stay near the ball, didn't know what he was doing. And they have encouraged him so much. And the team, the, the the boys, because he, he does struggle with peer relationships, but he doesn't struggle with those rugby boys. Oh, no. I it's just incredible. think it's... And, they, and, and I've been to... And, and he loves it when... I mean, I've not been to watch him enough, probably, but I've been to watch him two or three times. And I, I, I just... I mean, I, I get quiet. I'm there mm. cheering him on and shouting <laughs> and getting carried away, even though I don't really understand rugby, rugby very much. But it's... I um, we've, got, we've gone off a tangent. Really. Yeah, no, I've gone off a tangent. <laughs> so what, what I want to do, really, before I finish the podcast, I just want to, for everyone out there, to ask Claire if she could give one piece of advice mm-hmm. to someone who's about to become an adopted parent. What would it be? Oh, gosh. Um... <laughs> Probably um, know your self, know your limits and be absolutely honest with yourself because this will probably be the single most difficult thing you will ever do in your life and it is not um, what you expect it will be. It is not what you are sold. Um, and I don't, and I, I think that's going to come across as negative, and I don't mean it to, because it's an intensely rewarding thing to do. Um, not that I'd ever do it, but that's what I don't want. I don't want people to go in with that altruistic view of this is going to make me feel good. I'm going to be doing something good for somebody else. It, it, this will change your life in a way that you will not expect, and you have to know that you are in a very strong relationship with whoever you're doing this with if you're on your own you have to know that you've got a really good support network around you and you just have to be really honest with yourself because this is not for the faint-hearted no right and on that note can I just say thank you so much for your time that was uh, even though I thought I knew everything I've probably learned even more today I've, had, I've got so much more to say. I know. I've had the pleasure of laying in your boudoir or in your bedroom um, with the lovely Dexter dog at, at our feet. And, um, so if you heard any panting in the background, it wasn't me. Yeah. So thanks very much, everybody. Um, you can find me now on social media. If you have a look on Instagram, it's Nettie K blog. Um, if you have a look on Facebook... It's got a hellishly long title, but if you have a look for the word netty, and I'll probably again, I say on the next episode, I'll probably be, um, hopefully be a bit clearer with social media. But if um, anyone's got any comments, and um, that would be great. And um, I look forward to hopefully speaking to Claire again in a future episode and hope you'll all listen to the next episode. Thank you. <laughs>